This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got a lot to talk about today, everybody. Chris Hine will join me in just a little bit talking Timberwolves, talking about some improved play lately, talking about you know what players on this roster. And the Wolves have used 14 different starters this year, 15 players that could be considered regulars at a certain point. Who among them is really part of this future going forward and who among them might fall by the wayside as this team kind of figures things out going forward. So Chris will join me in a little bit to talk about that and some other things as well. But first, what did I miss? Had some concurrent games last night, uh, Twins and Wild. Two teams, one final score, as it turned out, and uh, two teams that you can't turn the TV off for uh, for two different reasons. The Wild... Amazing comeback, again. Um, down 5-3 to Vegas. They get one to get close, and then it's getting to the closing minutes. Kaprizov ties the game on a rebound. Nice little goal. And then, you know, you're thinking, well, they're going to take Vegas to overtime, at least get a point. Jonas Brodeen scores uh, right after uh, right after Kaprizov. They win 6-5 to five over Vegas. Um, you know, another, you know, huge comeback for the Wild. Another big you know, big game where they just, you know, don't, uh, you know, they refuse to quit, essentially. This is a team that, you know, just won't give up down the stretch. You know, they've been a little bit more uneven lately. I think the defense has maybe suffered a little bit, but, uh, you know, they, they are a team. Uh, my friend John Marthaler probably put it the best on uh, on Twitter on Monday night, said the Wild have existed for two decades, and this is the first time that they could accurately be described as fun. I don't think that's wrong. I think they've had some fun runs. I think they've had some good players. You know, the the playoff run back in 2003, um, you know, when they when they went all the way to the Western Conference Finals when nobody expected it. That was fun. That wasn't necessarily like the the world's most dynamic team, but they had a they had a great run uh, for sure. They've they've had some you know some better some better times. Some you know some good some good runs uh, of of players. But this is a team that actually is like John said, fun. A team that just you know goes out there is capable of scoring a whole bunch of goals, has you know dynamic players up and down the lineup. You know Kaprizov is just a total difference maker, but you got Kevin Fiala, you know you've got uh, you know Joel Joel Eriksson playing much better. That line is going great. You know so a lot of different guys doing different things on a given night uh, and making this team fun, and it added up to a six to five win on uh, on Monday night over Vegas. Um, not sure how much that's going to impact the overall playoff race, but if they could win Wednesday, they could pull a little bit closer to Vegas. Colorado did win Monday night, so it's looking like they might run out of time here, but still worth watching down the stretch if they can make this still a competitive race for second or even first in the division. Twins, on the other hand, a 6-5 win that felt a little bit different. They get out to a 5 nothing lead, and then the bullpen, it's scary. It's a it's a scary thing. Anytime it gets close, and you know the starter comes out of the game, and in this case, Kentameda gave them you know solid work, but didn't go super deep into the game. That's five nothing in the late innings, and then it starts to get chipped away. Was it five two? Then they you know get kind of back and forth, back and forth. Six three in the ninth. Taylor Rogers is in. You're thinking, okay, you know it, it was a little bit dicey there for a little while, but it's going to be okay. But then he gives up a two run home run, and it's six to five. They do hold on and win six five, just like the Wild. But you got to kind of cover cover your eyes in this case. You can't necessarily turn away from either game. But the Wilds, because it's gripping you with this sort of excitement and this wonder if they're going to make it uh, make it all the way back. With the Twins, it's this like you know half covering the eyes. Like, are they going to hold on? 
you can't turn away in either case because you don't know the outcome until the final whistle, final inning, final out is recorded in whatever case that might be. But both teams win. I guess that's the I guess that's the bottom line. Um, you, know, you can't argue with wins in any case. Um, but you know the Twins got to figure this bullpen out. They're twenty third in the majors in bullpen ERA still. Um, it's like four and a half, four. I think four six six is the is the overall number. They've maybe pitched into a tiny bit of bad luck in, in the bullpen. If you look at their peripheral numbers, it looks like it could be a little bit better. But still, not a bullpen you trust right now. And that's a problem going forward. Even if eleven and sixteen, which is their record, sounds a lot better than seven and fifteen, which is it was, which is what it was five games ago. If they don't straighten out the bullpen and get things going a little bit better in that direction, this isn't going to be a team that turns things around in a meaningful way. And I want to get to one other thing before we talk to Chris Heim. Um, this Aaron Rodgers Packers story keeps giving and giving. So the Packers take a lot of responsibility for the, the deterioration in this relationship, but Aaron Rodgers also has to take some of the blame because he thinks he's the general manager uh, of this team, apparently. Um, so report from Ian Rappaport, uh, NFL media comes out uh, yesterday, says, summing up the Packers situation with quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who also wanted more input in personnel decisions and how the Jake Kumaro release played into it. That was a tweet from Ian Rappaport. He, he talked about it on, uh, on the NFL Network yesterday, too. Basically, Sounds like Rodgers really loved Jake Kumaro, who was a wide receiver who caught like 12 passes in 2019. He was a little bit of a surprise cut in 2020. Rodgers had gone on the radio like the day before saying how much he liked Kumaro. Packers cut him, and apparently the Packers cutting him was deemed the last straw, quote-unquote, in, in the relationship with the team, uh, which is weird because it happened right before his MVP season. But anyway... I get that when you achieve a certain level of star status, maybe you want some input in the roster, but that's that's not the place to be trying to wield all your power. It, it just let that one go and, you know, move on, move on and fight another fight. But, you know, apparently Aaron Rodgers wants more control than he probably should have. The Packers are probably saying, no, I'm pushing back, pushing back. And it's just, you know, I don't doubt that it's part of why this relationship is falling apart. I just think it's kind of funny and also kind of sad. And I'm saying right now that as much as that this is the Packers' fault, it's also on Aaron Rodgers to a degree as well. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to have on, as always, Chris Hine from the Star Tribune covers the Timberwolves, has had uh, some more interesting things to cover in recent weeks as the team has become at least more relevant in the second half of the season. And I was just sharing with Chris, who was our first five-time guest on Daily Delivery, that I have ordered his jacket and the uh, the patch that goes on it signifying his five-timer status. So exciting news uh, that that should be coming soon. And I was just telling Mike that I am looking very forward to wearing my jacket well into June, given the notable weather here in Minneapolis. And we're still in the 50s this week in May. Always love to see that 50 degrees in May. It's nice out. It's this yeah. is beautiful. Give me this all the time. But anyway, anyway, sure. Chris is very upset about the weather. Always it's <laughs> never good. And the weather's never good enough for Chris. Neither of the, neither of the Timberwolves. Um, they win four in a row. And then the first thing you say is that, well, the winning streak is over. But it's true. Um, what, well, let's, let's, let's talk about how they've played in the last seven, eight games so that they're five and two and the two games they've lost were kind of like 
blown leads late, right? The the Sacramento yes. game and the uh, and then recently the uh, the the Pelicans game, two games that they could have won. And you know, to be fair, they had some games that were you know could have gone either way that they won. So you know, it's not to say they should have won seven in a row, but you know, as as a means of getting into this, a I want to talk about chris finch and just kind of what we've seen from him as a coach and then also kind of are we seeing you know outside of edwards towns and uh, russell are we seeing a core of role players emerging or or who who is part of this right now that you could see being part of this going forward so let me start there outside of you know how good edwards has been in some of these clutch situations you know counting on towns who, who of this, you know, kind of next group of players that gets minutes do you see being part of this group going forward, you know, next year and, and beyond? I think it's a very interesting question. I think we were talking about, obviously, Jay, like Jaden McDaniels is, is penciled in now. Whether, he, whether McDaniels will be starting full-time or coming off the bench, I think he's going to play major minutes uh, going forward here. Very interested to see how he does with, an, with a full offseason under his belt. Um, maybe even more so in some ways than how Anthony Edwards is going to do with the full off season under his belt. Uh, they get him in the weight room a little bit. He just has more experience, more, more workouts and very intrigued to see his development over the summer. I think uh, Josh Akogi has a role just because he does something well that not everybody on the team does well, which is play defense. Um, and he is one of the only individual defenders that the wolves have that is at that level i think you know they had hoped that Jarrett culver would potentially be like that as well but we've seen culver just have his issues this earlier this year struggling before he got hurt and then now he gets hurt in january leads to the ankle surgery that that happened or that they announced last week so Jarrett culver's future as i kind of wrote the other day it's very hard to kind of picture where he fits in long-term right now when you look at kind of the trajectory this team is on. Um, guy like Nas Reed, I feel like has solidified a role, a backup center on a very team-friendly deal that I feel like he's going to be around for, for a little while here. And he's shown improvement from year one to year two. You wonder if he can keep that up going into year three. Um, and, you know, you wonder, you wonder about a guy like, I think, Jared Vanderbilt, who's going to be a free agent. You know, do they get him back? Is he, does he go elsewhere? Does he field any interest elsewhere for, for what he does? But again, he has a skill set that, you know, not everybody on the team has, which again is defense and rebounding. And this team sorely needs, sorely needs both of those things. So it'll be, but it'll be interesting to see if Rose is able to find people in the open market that are able to upgrade over, over some of those guys. So, to be determined, I guess. And, and some of that, you know, maybe depends on, do they keep the draft pick this year? Or do they not? It kind of feels like Vanderbilt and some, some of other players too, their, their minutes have been kind of all over the place. And some of it depends on opportunity. Some of it depends on, you know, there's been two different coaches this season. You had Ryan Saunders and then you have, you know, you have Chris Finch and both of them have had about the same number of games now, if I'm not mistaken at, at this point in the season in terms of coaching this team, but you know, Vanderbilt's one that's interesting because he started a bunch of games, then he was like buried for a while, and then he kind of resurfaced with this kind of bench energy role. Um, you know, Rubio is a guy who you're wondering, he's got one year left on his deal, but that also makes him, 
you know, potential trade fodder in the off season, especially if, you know, if they do keep their pick and are interested in a point guard, perhaps, because that's kind of a lot of what's at the top of the top of the draft. But, you know, I think one thing they have to figure out is what position wise, you know, is, is Jaden McDaniels really a four or are they just kind of playing him there to get him on the court is towns, really a five forever is they, they try to play Naz Reed and towns together. Some is that a pairing they want to see more of in the future. So I still think there's some questions they have as they kind of sort this out, but they're definitely finding some combinations. I think Chris Finch has found some combinations that work and whether that's working long-term or working against certain opponents. So you're seeing different lineups at different times, even in different games from game to game, it seems like they're finding some things that do work. I'd agree with that, and I think that maybe some of the position questions you have with guys like McDaniels and now, as we've seen with Towns, maybe that gives them a little more flexibility in who they could get. Maybe they could, maybe they see, you know, around the trade deadline, Roses did did say that they, they're not quite sure what McDaniels is. Is he, like, is he a three? Is he a four? But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a problem going forward. So I think, I think maybe it gives them a little more flexibility going forward. Um, as for Finch, I think you've seen that he's been willing to to put guys in different positions. You know, he he moved Wancho from the four to the three on this on this bench unit. That's been helpful for Wancho and and kind of getting him rejuvenated. Um, you've seen him play Nas and Cat together, which is something that Ryan Saunders never did, um, but he's been willing to try it, um, willing to throw it out there. He's been he, and he has been willing, and this is this is who he's been as a coach when going back to his days in Europe, he's willing to try things, see if things work. And if it doesn't work, then okay. But if it works, then let's keep rolling with it. Um, so I, so I think he's done a good job of mixing and matching, playing hunches, playing uh, guys late in games who maybe that particular game is, is not, is their game. So they get minutes late in the fourth quarter. If it's not their night, maybe they don't get as many minutes late in the fourth quarter. So I think you, you've seen him uh, be a little different from Ryan Saunders in that way. And that, and that the rotations and, and who plays end of games uh, can be a little more flexible. Uh, I, I think. Yeah, I think so. He He's definitely, he's not married to one closing lineup. He's not married to, I think one way to, to win a game. I thought, you know, the other day it was interesting. I thought, you know, um, a Kogi, I thought had a pretty good first half. And then he gets, he comes out pretty early in the third quarter in that loss to the Pelicans where they seem to bog down on defense. Some he didn't play at all the rest of that game after coming out early in the third quarter. I don't know kind of what the, what the pattern was there. If they needed to be bigger against that lineup, if that just wasn't, wasn't working, but you know, it does seem like Finch values, you know, defense at the start, which is maybe why we're seeing, you know, in addition to minutes restrictions, why we're seeing a Kogi start while we're seeing Jaden McDaniel start while we're seeing Rubio still in the lineup over D'Angelo Russell, whereas Russell, you know, can kind of come in, you know, feel the game out after the first five or six minutes and then, you know, come in and provide a, a jolt of offense. But yeah, you're seeing different kind of combinations. You're seeing Russell as kind of a closer, not an opener. I don't think that's a long-term thing, but it is a way to manage his minutes while still kind of seeing, okay, how, how does this best fit together? So yeah, I think, I think he's been willing to experiment and whether that's out of necessity, whether that's to, to kind of manage 
wrestle through, you know, the rest of the season without putting undue strain on his knee and make sure they get some looks with Russell and, and towns. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that all fits together, but I don't think Russell coming off the bench is their long-term plan. Do you? It's not. And Chris Finch said as much the other day, and he was very clear in that he's like, this is fine for now. D'Angelo doesn't want to overtax his body. 30 minutes a game is fine. We want him closing the game, not starting him makes it easier to just manage his minutes when he just skips the first quote unquote shift that he would otherwise have. And he was very clear to say, D'Angelo Russell, this is not a long-term option off the bench. We view him as a starter. He's a starter. He will be starting. So this is just a temporary thing, probably maybe through the end of the year, but um, certainly next year, I would expect a a healthy D'Angelo Russell to be starting on night one. The one interesting thing I think we saw too in that four-game winning streak, which was their first four-game winning streak in two and a half years, and not coincidentally, was probably one of their best defensive stretches in two and a half years, albeit only for four games, you know, where they played pretty well against Utah on defense held, you know, it was kind of an uneven performance against Houston, but still only gave up one Oh seven in that game. And then, you know, against golden state, one fourteen isn't a bad number, especially when, you know, you're watching Curry just, you know, rain threes all over the place. Um, the last time they had won four in a row was right after they acquired Robert Covington and the, you know, the defense was kind of doing, doing its thing after they got him. Um, but I think one thing you're seeing lately in particular, uh, as part of that defense, Carl Anthony Towns is quietly becoming a much better defensive player this season, especially, you know, whatever scheme they're, they're throwing at teams, you know, on the perimeter, he, he can guard the other team's perimeter players pretty effectively when they're switching out there, instead of just having him drop, you know, into that kind of, you know, the pick and roll thing that wasn't working before seems like they're pick and roll defense and Towns' defense in particular was it was and is getting better as the season goes along. I'd agree with that. And one of the things I think is, is interesting is, yeah, you, you have Towns. He's good enough to play on the perimeter on offense um, and, and operate from there, uh, usually against bigger guys. But still, if you, know, if you have him on the perimeter, he might face uh, more perimeter defenders on offense. Why not try to have him guard the perimeter a little bit on defense. I think you're seeing that that's, that's proven to be uh, not the, not the most terrible thing in the world. Um, <laughs> and that's in that I, I don't think the previous coaching uh, staff was, was uh, the staffs were liable to have him do. Um, so I think that's been working. I think just overall this, this way of playing defense, which is everybody just run to the ball has been at least somewhat helpful for this group. Now, I don't know. And that's, this is what I'm probably going to write for Wednesday's paper. I don't know how sustainable this way of playing defense is going to be long-term over the course of the season, um, especially as with all the running that guys have to do in terms of trying to cover for each other when the ball starts swinging around. They've done a good job of it. I think that Utah, the, the two Utah games, where they did a really nice job of, of, of covering for each other, of, of getting to that third and fourth pass and making sure that, that the, the clear outs were, or the closeouts were, were strong, that they weren't giving guys much room to get shots off. I think that was very, very evident in those two games. Um, but again, I don't know how, how much that's sustainable. How much do they change that over the off season with a full, with a full off season to work with. So I'm not sure how much of what you're seeing now on the defensive end of the floor is going to translate next year. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I feel like, 
you know, and it, you got to see it for more than four games. I mean, they, they have that stretch and then they, you know, they give up 140, albeit in overtime, but, you know, 140 to the Pelicans and they lose. So they, 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 they have these stretches where they play well. And then, the, and then they have these stretches where they, you know, they're right back kind of where they started and giving up a, a huge number. Um, speaking of uh, winning and the, the, you know, the, what goes with it, People, you know, it's almost funny. I'm going to have, I think I'm going to have Gerson Rosas on the show later this week, Timberwolves president. And, you know, for most of his tenure, people have been like, well, you guys aren't winning enough. And now, you know, now that they're winning, they're like, ah, now, now you're going to blow the draft pick. Uh, wh- how do you think the players obviously do not care? They're on the court to win. Um, there's only so much you, you want to do to manipulate that um and they've been pretty steadfast it sounds like and just like you know especially that houston game where they didn't rest anybody on the back-to-back it was a travel you know they had to travel to houston but everybody still played and they won that game that have been the you know an example of a time where they could have legitimately rested towns rested russell and you know maybe kind of given into the schedule loss as it were they seem pretty adamant about wanting to win and let the consequences be what they are look at the end of the day the difference between finishing in the bottom three and I think what's what's the worst or not the worst but the best they could finish like sixth probably worst? probably sixth yeah they could probably they could get up to sixth although some and of then, those other teams have won a couple games they maybe weren't expected to win and yeah. you know Detroit has to right. play Orlando at some point here the Wolves tonight have a couple tonight so yeah. if you're if you're interested in t- well by the time people hear this it will it will have happened <laughs> right they play Tuesday they play Monday night so yeah it's a it's a Moot point at this point, but yeah, one of those yeah. teams. When you wake up and hear this Tuesday, one of those teams will have won another game. It's impossible yes. for them not to. So yes, um, so I think, and if if my view of the Tankathon website that I have etched in my mind from digesting lottery odds each of the last two years, I believe the difference between finishing in the bottom three and six is about ten percent. Right. 10, yeah, it seems about that. As in terms of getting terms a top of three keeping, pick, yeah. in terms of keeping the top three pick, it's about eleven-ish percent, give or take. So, is eleven percent really worth it to to tank the rest of the season to go through what you went through for the first two thirds of this year, for three quarters of this year, which was miserable. Everybody was miserable. Nobody likes losing. Nobody likes losing the way that they were losing. How badly they were losing. To, to go into the offseason without any kind of hope, all because you want to have a 10% more chance of something that's unlikely to happen anyway. Like it, you're, you're, it's not like you're going from, from 90% odds of keeping the top three picked to 10% odds. You're going from about 40 to 29%. It's not that huge of a difference. I feel like just organizationally for the health of this team, for the health of this organization, for the happiness of Carl Anthony Towns, which is a constant source of, of, of speculation for fans to have some sort of semblance going into the off season of a direction is so important for this team. And I just, I just think that is just much more important than, than trying to tank for a few more ping pong balls in the, in the, whatever machine it is that they use to, to do it. Whatever machine you sound like you're 70 years old. What this fans do <laughs> fancy machine. They've got playing the lottery, but you're right. Though. You're right. Technology, this technology is kids and their technology, but and also, you know, if they if they get up to six, then the pick they give up might not be that bad. It might be like eighth or ninth, and then it's you know, then it's that's not the end of the world. I, I I'm with you. I, I I think you can't have it both ways necessarily. You can't you can't be mad when they win and then mad when they lose and and, and all those things. You got to either you got to stay in one lane. And I'm, I'm always generally of the mind that you know 
if you're going to lose, if you're going to lose organically, that's fine. If you're just playing a whole bunch of young players and you happen to lose kind of like what they did in Andrew Wiggins rookie season, like they had no chance that year. If they won 16 games, they just let Wiggins kind of try to take all the shots he wanted and they ended up with Carl Anthony Towns as the next, as the number one pick the next year. Like that was organic losing. Um, you know, but if you have the team to win, you have team to win games and you haven't been winning games in the past. Um, there's no, there's no crime in winning. Um, especially if the, the, the lottery odds are negligible in, in changing in that fashion. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of of that mind. It's still, you know, you got to give up that pick at some point too. I mean, this assumption that the wolves yeah. are just going to be magically better next year. And, you know, you'd like to think that based on what you've seen in the last, you know, 20, 25 games, but there's no guarantees next year that, that you wouldn't end up giving up the number one overall pick. Cause it's an unprotected pick next year. Right. Exactly. You'd be, you'd be going into that draft next year. Even, even if like, let's say you're, let's say they miss the playoffs. Right. And you go in, let's say they have like the 10th, they're, they're slated to be like 10th or 11th there's going to be that little percentage chance that you still end up with a number one or God forbid a, a, a top four pick. Right. So you're going to be sweating that one out too next year, because you could have had the number one pick. You could have had the number you know two through four pick, even, even if it is just that little chance, you'd still be sweating that out. So do you want to give up the pick this year? Or do you want to give it up next year? I, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I feel like, having some clarity around that and maybe knowing that you have a pick next year, maybe just eases everything around that situation next year. Because like you said, we don't know how next year is going to play out. What if, what if there's a major injury to, to somebody like towns, you know, what if, what if he's out for half the year, three quarters of the year or whatever, you know, knock on wood that he's, you know, that he's healthy, but you don't know, you don't know how next year is going to play out. And, and it'd be better to, I think, give up the pick now in the five, six, seven range, if it has to be that high, um, then going into next year with an unprotected pick going to another team. Last thought for you. There's only a handful of games left in the season. Actually two, two thoughts for you. One, have we seen enough sample size? I mean, the big question in this last stretch was, you know, once they got towns and Russell healthy, the question was, is this pairing working do we have enough of a sample size to say, yeah, or do we need to see more? And I guess the other question too is any chance I, I saw Malik Beasley was doing some work. Do they think he's going to play at all the rest of this year? Or is he, you know, with this, you know, seven, seven games, whatever they have left, is he just kind of done for the year? Beasley, they're hopeful they can get him back for a couple games at the end of the year. So don't rule him out just yet. As for the Towns and Russell uh, comparison or, or uh, partnership, I would say that it's it, the arrow is pointing up, but I don't know that we've that we've learned enough to say f- for certain. And I'll, and I'll go back to something Ricky Rubio said the other night. Um, he said that this winning streak has been good, um, but last year when he was in Phoenix, when they went on that run in the bubble, they were playing. They were still playing for their playoff lives. They were trying to get into the playoffs, and they went eight zero. So there was pressure every night to win. He said the pressure is kind of off right now because they're not going to make the playoffs. So I think the I think it's been encouraging seeing how that they've played together and the fact that they've been able to win more often than not when playing together. But let's see next year when you know the schedule resets and you're zero zero again, zero and zero, and you're trying to make the playoffs. Can you win enough games under those circumstances where wins mat- kind of matter again 
to make this partnership uh, look fruitful. Good points. Good points, Chris Hine. Always enjoy having you on. Maybe by the next time you're on, you will have your five-timers jacket. I sure hope that's Mm -hmm. the case. I Um, hope so, too. It's a a Four Seasons uh, jacket. Four Seasons that you can wear it in in Minnesota, as Chris is always reminding us. Chris, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Chris Hine, as usual. And I should note, I will be joined later this week by Gerson Rosas, Timberwolves president, For more Timberwolves talk, maybe a look ahead to the lottery. I'm sure that's his favorite subject right now and some other team building stuff as well. Right now, though, let's end with the cooler. St. Paul Saints begin their first season, their first ever game as a Twins affiliate on Tuesday in Omaha and in one week play their first home game at CHS Field in St. Paul. So this is a reminder of a lot of different things, but for me, it is a reminder that 11 years ago, Randball commenter Clarence Swamptown, R.I.P. Clarence Swamptown, not the man, the moniker, um, predicted or at least lobbied for the fact that if St. Paul was going to build a beautiful new ballpark in St. Paul, that it should be a Twins minor league affiliate at some point, that they shouldn't spend all this money just for an independent or, you know, at this point, an American Association uh, team. Well, Fast forward 11 years, here we are. This is the reality. It's a triple-A team. He wanted it to be the low-A team. Triple-A team probably makes more sense in the long run. But excited for this, excited for him that he was right 11 years ago. Um, I just think it's really cool that this is going to be the partnership now going forward and that you're going to be able to watch Saints games with Twins minor league players in them. So looking forward to that. First game today, first home game in a week. That'll do it for today. Thanks for joining me. Sarah McClellan on Wednesday show to talk wild as well as wild forward Nick Bugstead should have some fun with that. Thanks for listening today. Download, write a review, read Start Tribune, starttribune.com. We'll catch you again on Wednesday.